Hey, y'all. This is Dr. Joy from the Therapy for Black Girls podcast. And this is a booster session. As a reminder, the information included is meant to be educational and entertaining, but is not a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Hey, y'all. Thanks so much for joining me for a very special bonus episode of the Therapy for Black Girls podcast. We'll jump right in after a quick word from our sponsors. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Forum understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I've seen quite a few videos on social media recently of young women soliciting help in finding the perfect dress for graduation. Might I suggest you add Macy's to your list? They have lots of options for dresses that will transition perfectly from under your gown to that incredible dinner with family after the ceremony. Check out options from brands like On 34th, Michael Kors, DKNY, and many more. Shop at Macy's.com or in-store. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com slash RTP. Buying your first car can make you feel like a superstar as it's a big purchase, but it can take time to get there. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit helps you take control of your finances through products like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. You may have heard that most people who are Black have O-type blood. O is commonly needed for emergencies. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? Regardless of blood type, every day our blood saves lives and eases the pain of those living with sickle cell. Donate blood at Red Cross to help save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make an appointment now. Earlier this week, we chatted with Judith Sedora, a licensed marriage and family therapist in Oregon, about the mental health impact of transracial adoptions. And we wanted to follow up that conversation by hearing from someone who has lived this experience. Joining us today is Angela Tucker. Angela is an adoptee who is committed to advancing the conversation, not just having one. She is an unabashed truth teller and a gifted speaker and educator. As a Black woman adopted from foster care to a white family and growing up in a city that was demographically only 1% Black, she understands the power of life's most difficult moments. Her determination and insatiable curiosity is an inspiration to many and is on display through her search for her biological parents in the documentary Closure, and her unique upbringing has encouraged an expansive and inclusive definition of family. During our conversation, Angela shared more about her experiences as an adoptee, 
the challenges she's had related to identity, the process of reuniting with her biological family, and about the work she does to help other transracial adoptees. If there's something that resonates with you while enjoying our conversation, please share it with us on social media using the hashtag TBG in session. Here's our conversation. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Angela. Hi, I'm glad to be here. Yes, very excited to have you here. So, you know, this whole conversation kind of started. So we are big fans of This Is Us here at Therapy for Black Girls. And so exciting, one, for you to be able to share your experience. But it also sounds like you've done some consulting work, which makes sense that this is why it feels like they've gotten the storyline right in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. So so could you start by just telling us a little bit about your adoption story? Yeah, I mean, I was adopted out of foster care as a one-year-old from Tennessee to Washington State. So I was adopted into a white family. My parents are white. They adopted lots of other kids as well and had one biological child. So my family was mixed in the sense that I had Black siblings, Asian siblings, white siblings, but the town that we grew up in was predominantly white, and it was actually a former sundown town, Mm -hmm. and so all the way up kind of near the Canadian border, and, you know, I grew up with a lovely upbringing and all of the opportunities that I think my birth mom wished for me. And at the same time, I grew up without knowing other Black folks. And so that really impacts my sense of self and my sense of racial identity. I grew up in a closed adoption, so I couldn't know my birth family at all until I found them in my mid-20s. And that was really difficult also, just the not knowing. Yeah, I would imagine. And, you know, you highlighted something that I think is something poignant that we saw in This Is Us as well. Just this experience of this most recently we've seen Randall go to like a support group, right, for other people who've experienced transracial adoptions. And so this idea of like identity formation, can you talk a little bit more about like how you've recognized maybe some of those struggles as an adult? Oh, yeah. I mean, being with others who are transracially adopted is the place where I and so many other transracial adoptees feel like we belong because it is a space where we inherently understand the complexities. And one of the key pieces that non-adopted folks struggle to understand is the difficulty around feeling a loyalty towards our adoptive parents and wanting to show that, like be grateful and show our gratitude while also having to keep inside basically the struggle about the things that we've lost, most notably losing our culture. Because currently society doesn't really put a huge emphasis on that piece for adoptees. It's mostly like if you've got a new home, you have healthy, stable environment, then all is great. You know, that the thought about kind of cultural neglect is not something that people often thought of. In fact, it's often this kind of colorblind approach that parents took. And that makes for a lot of adult adoptees feel a little disconnect between our genetic identity, being Black or whatever we are, compared to our feeling identity, which for some people doesn't match. And for transracial adoptees, this is really common. So being with other people who get that inherently and know that it's a place where we can say that without having a lot of pushback is absolutely crucial. Yeah, that's straddling both worlds. And, you know, they talked about that in an episode as well, like um, this gratitude that you're supposed to feel and of course do, right? But it doesn't negate the grief that you may experience um, related to the loss of your birth family. Exactly. And the gratitude, it goes deeper too, because for so many adoptees, we know that we came with a price tag. And for so many of us who are adoptees of color, We were negotiated down because white babies cost more. And so there's this gratitude for being adopted combined with like this transactional piece where it's like we feel like we have to perform in order for us to feel like our parents got what they wanted. And that doesn't leave a lot of space to question anything at all. And this comes from the most benevolent and lovely adoptive parents, you know, like in my family where my parents were really great. So it's not a case of 
adoptive parents being like, don't talk about this, but it's a case of us feeling like if we talk about this, we are really going against the grain and so much so that it's kind of scary because we fear that we might get abandoned again. Right, right, of course. And you mentioned that you feel like historically, like these were not conversations that people were having around like the cultural piece, right? And making sure that that was something that was discussed in the adoption process. Do you feel like strides have been made in that process now? Yeah, definitely. Many agencies require prospective adoptive parents to take some courses around racism and understanding that. But it's still up to the parents as to whether or not they want to embody that and really believe that or not. And so I do know a lot of lovely adoptive parents who have decided to move to different cities so that their kids didn't have to be the only kids of color. And that's really awesome. And I also credit a lot of adoption camps for the growth in this area too, that there are camps all around the country that are designed specifically for transracial families. And the focus there is for kids to see other people who look like them. And then for the parents to understand that racism is absolutely one of the key components that they have to address. Oh, I love that. I wasn't aware that there were camps, but I could see how that could be incredibly helpful. I definitely have heard of, you know, like hairstylists and other like service providers, like working with transracial adoptee families, right? To talk about like, how do you style like black hair and, you know, like those kinds of things. So it sounds like that's maybe something that happens at these camps. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it goes so much deeper than that because it's not just like a two-hour, four-hour hair appointment, but Mm -hmm. it's a week-long immersion experience. And better yet than that is to have it in your daily life, to have representation, to see people who look like you all over the place. But for so many transracial adoptees, like that one week a year in the summer is what they live for. Mm -hmm. Got it. Got it. So are there other conversations or other things that you think families should be thinking about if they are thinking about adopting a child who is different from their own culture? Oh, yeah. Like the most important thing, I think, for prospective parents is to ask themselves why before they adopt. Like, why do you feel especially equipped to raise a child outside of your race? Why do you want to? You know, I think Honestly, there's a a savior narrative that sometimes is so subconscious and so implicit that parents don't even realize that's what's happening. But because of the culture and the history of America, that oftentimes is what is being replicated. And this feeling for some white parents that they really do have better things. In reality, it might be that they haven't faced as much oppression than the child's birth parents. And that's why they may have more materialistic things. And so if you really sit with that, then to start to think about, do we really need to break this family apart? If there isn't any neglect or abuse, if it's poverty, then perhaps we can keep the family together. So I think prospective families have a lot of thinking and hopefully hard conversations that they have with themselves before choosing to adopt a kid of color. Yeah, you know, Angela, I think that's a really important point, you know, because I think if there's anything, and I I don't know that this is anything we didn't know before the last year, but definitely within this last year, I think it is even clearer how so many white people, they're just oblivious to like things like privilege and you know, like the idea that they could be acting out some of this saviorism, right? And so, you know, there really does need to be a very deep digging around like, why do I love that question? Like, why do I feel like I am especially equipped to raise this child from a different culture? Right. And I think it's pretty striking. One of the short films that I created featured a Black adoptive dad who was adopting a Black boy from foster care. And I asked him if he would ever consider adopting a white child. And he was kind of befuddled. Like, why would I do that? I know nothing about white culture, whiteness, how to live. You know, he lives in a predominantly Black area. And I juxtapose that with the answer I get from white parents about adopting a kid of color. And their response is, oh, of course. Yeah, I would love to. You know, and it's just like, that is 
fascinating to me. Yeah, I think it kind of goes with this whole idea of we're all just a human race, right? And, you know, like I can love the kid and, you know, like, of course, there are some things that you can give the kid, but there are other things, you know, because of the difference in cultural lens that you are not even aware that you can't provide in the same way. Right. And one example that I give a lot is this example I give to white adoptive parents of black or brown kids is one of my mentees. I do a lot of mentoring of adoptees, youth and adults, but there was one 13 year old black girl who after George Floyd died, she was with a friend and they were talking about going shopping and that friend is a black girl and that black girl is not adopted. So her black parents were telling her friend, when you go to the store, you cannot put the receipt in your bag, hold it out, keep it in your hand until you walk through that door and you're like, can't even see the store anymore. And he was talking really firm to her, had like this fervor, passion. And so my mentee went home to her white parents and was like, hey, you know, my friend's dad said this to her. How come you've never told me this? Or is this important for me to do as well? And her parents started crying and said like, I am so sorry that you're going to have to deal with racism in this way. And they were just very tearful. And so my mentee then came to me and was like, what else aren't they telling me? You know, Mm -hmm. what else do I need to know about being a black woman in the world that I'm not getting? Because, you know, her parents were very aware, but it was just that they didn't have the lived experience to like imbue it in the same way that her friend's dad did. Mm -hmm. I thought that was like a, such a clear example of, one of the points of tension because it's not that my mentee's parents aren't great they're wonderful right they're just those pieces that are missed yep yeah those crucial pieces i mean it's Mm -hmm. so important right 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 more from angela right after the break growing up watching media legends like gwen eiffel and robin roberts always gave me the security that stories that matter to me would be told the next generation of influential black voices can be found on npr's new collection Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It's crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a backseat. That's where release the pressure comes in. It's all about us, Black women seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or our community, your health is invaluable. Let's help to get our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head over to iHeartRadio.com slash RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us, and let's take care of our hearts together. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Forum understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth 
that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Forum believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Forum is there. May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, online and in-store. Some of my favorites are the jewelry from Hey Maeve and the skincare products from Kaja. For the entire month of May, join Macy's in supporting AAPI-owned fashion brands. You can show your support by donating online or by rounding up in store to benefit APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Join me by rounding up your purchase to the nearest dollar at checkout to support API scholars, an educational nonprofit. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. How many times have you arrived in Orlando and suddenly realized you forgot the kids? But then you remember you had no intention of bringing the kids. You are in Orlando to enjoy yourself. It's an amazing opportunity to have fun and experience all the fun Orlando has to offer. Sure, Orlando is known as the theme park capital of the world, but there's so much more to this destination. It's the place where adults can become kids again. And happy hour happens any hour. With never-ending food festivals, fresh new dining experiences, and outdoor adventures from ziplining to its beautiful natural springs. And, of course, fireworks every single night. Plus, you have loads of entertainment options, see unique neighborhoods, and can even visit their blossoming arts and culture. Orlando has everything for an amazing getaway with your loved ones or friends, including exciting thrill rides, lush, lazy rivers, and world-class golf and spas. Yes, there's more to see, do, and experience than you'd expect. In Orlando, anything is possible if you can imagine it. Plan your escape today and save at visitorlando.com. Angela, I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more. So you've talked about like the identity piece that can definitely, you know, kind of show up in childhood and in adulthood. Are there other mental health struggles that maybe you've experienced or in your work with like mentees and in doing the work that you've done that you've kind of seen come up over and over again? The big one is adoptees not feeling comfortable to express the sadness about losing their first family. And and there's like this ambiguous loss. So ambiguous loss is like, you know, someone is not physically present, but there is a psychological presence. Mm -hmm. And that is a tough one for adoptees to speak about because it doesn't make sense to people. Like, why do you miss somebody you never knew? Why do you miss somebody who was terrible to you? And so how do you talk about that? I know that the prevailing notion, this fairy tale narrative of adoption is so strong. That is what gets pushed down and suppressed by adoptees. And that's why the American Academy of the Psychological Association said that one out of four adoptees who seek therapy attempt suicide. There are really high suicide rates in adoption, and these adoptees aren't coming from bad adoptive families. They're just coming from places where they haven't had space to be honest. And even therapists sometimes meet adoptees with statements like, that's so cool you were adopted. And just that is enough to shut us down. Wow, I wasn't aware of that. Thank you for sharing that, Angela. Yeah, I mean, because, you know, it is almost as if we are not giving space for the entirety of the conversation, right? Like the duality of it. Like, yes, I can, like we talked about, right? Like I can be grateful that I have this experience, but also feel deeply saddened that I did not have this other experience. I mean, especially depending on the details of the adoption, you know, like if it was a family that they were a part of for a long time, you know, then there is a huge grief there of losing that family. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I was, I was really excited to consult with the writers of This Is Us for Randall, because I haven't seen very many accurate portrayals of adoptees in the media and entertainment. And most of the time we hear from the adoptive parents' perspective, like 
how long it took for them to get through the adoption process or how much they've always wanted a baby or, you know, that's a really common thing for us to hear, but not so much the other side of the coin. And so I'm thrilled that mass media is starting to catch up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would imagine that you were involved also with the storyline of him being able to go to his birth mom's home, right? Like we talked about that on the podcast. What an incredibly beautiful experience, I think, all around to be able to talk about like that deep sense of sadness that he didn't even really know was there until he was able to go to his birth mom's home. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are some deep feelings when we are severed from our roots. and. Therapy, especially working with adoption competent therapists, is just really helpful for us to expand our vocabulary around adoption. I think that's one of the things that I've seen is most beneficial from the youth that I mentor is like putting words to these experiences that go beyond kind of what we're told. You know, like some of my mentees knew that their birth parent chose adoption, for example, but they didn't know anything further than that. So to talk together about like, what does it mean for someone to choose this and what point in their life did they have to get to to need to make this choice? And then starting to think about political ramifications and like history between different continents, even like Korean adoptees thinking about the Korean War and what that meant or Chinese adoptees thinking about the one child policy and how that impacted their need to be adopted. And all of these things need to come into the conversation and they hadn't yet. Right. And so it it definitely feels like that is why your work has been so relevant is to be able to bring light to all of these conversations that have really been missed. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Missed. And I think there's a fear. Mm. I think there's a lot of fear from adoptive parents about getting too far into the truth that it might be too hurtful for us to hear or understand when in reality, once we have our truth, at least we have something to work with as opposed to just being in our heads and fantasizing and wondering. And that was like Randall's ghost kingdom, right? Mm-hmm. Like my ghost kingdom was magic. Johnson was my birth dad. Cause he has a humongous smile and he plays <laughs> basketball. <laughs> I do both of those things. And then Halle Berry was my birth mom just cause she's gorgeous. And I like, why not? You know? Right. But, and so that was what I thought of my whole life. And I knew both of them were not my birth parents, but I had to fill in the void somehow. But what I really wanted was the truth. Yeah. Once I got the truth, once I met my birth mom and my birth dad, like they are just 10,000 times better than Magic Johnson or Halle Berry. (laughs) I love it. Can you remember, Angela, like how that played out for you in childhood? I mean, because at some point you were not old enough to have the language, of course, that you have now. But do you remember like how you navigated that as a much younger person? Yeah, I think it was things like all my traits. Like I would just be like, I'm so athletic. Where did I get this from? Mm -hmm. You know, or or sometimes not even stated. But my sister, who's my parents, biological daughter, has beautiful blue eyes, just like my dad's beautiful blue eyes. And everybody would comment on them. And so just hearing that, I didn't even say anything, but I know I felt a loss of like, I wish somebody could say that about me. I just I longed for that. So I think through those sorts of things or my parents too would really lovingly help me think too about my birth parents when I would play the piano. They might say like, I wonder if there's any musicians in your family. You know, that was really an awesome way for me to know it was okay to think about them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that they kind of created a space for you to wonder as well. Yes. Yes. Right, right. So can you talk a little bit about the process of reconnecting with your biological family? Yeah, that was pretty wild. I found my birth mother because there are some laws that don't allow adoptees to search until we're either 18 or 21. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I just had to wait. And then when I was able, I contacted the state of Tennessee to try to get my original birth certificate because adoptees get amended birth certificates. So the one that I had my whole life said that my adoptive parents gave birth to me. 
<laughs> That's mm. all we get. And the wow. real one is locked away and it has my biological parents' names on it. And so I've always wanted that document because then that would let me get somewhere. And so I applied for that and then eventually found my birth dad first because he has a pretty unique name. His name mm -hmm. is Otirius. And through a lot of internet sleuthing and stalking, <laughs> we found only four people in the state of Tennessee with the name Otirius. And there was one in the city of Chattanooga where I was born. And so we thought that's probably him. So essentially my family, we just jumped on a plane and went up to him and he had no idea that he even had a child, but we look exactly the same. And so it was pretty undeniable. <laughs> and then he took me to my birth mother who said, I don't know who you are, please leave. And so she rejected me. And a year later, she reached out and said, yeah, actually, I am your birth mom. I just needed to get some stuff in order because nobody knew I was pregnant with you and I needed to start telling people. And then at that point, she invited me and my whole family back and we've been able to build a relationship since then. And I've been able to meet my birth siblings and aunts and uncles and cousins. And it's pretty wild. It's pretty overwhelming. Yeah, I can imagine. And it sounds like your family was involved with you meeting your birth family. Yeah, thank goodness. Mm -hmm. Thank mm -hmm. goodness. I mean, I hear a lot of adoptive parents who aren't sure if their kids want them on that journey. And for me, it was essential. Like, I don't think I could have done it without the support of my adoptive parents. Like my mom, when I met my birth mom for the second time after she admitted that she was my birth mom, I was like clenching my mom's hand so hard. <laughs> it was just really scary isn't the right word, but it was just a lot. I needed yeah. her with me. So that was... It was really exciting. I also felt like I knew that they had always expressed an interest in my birth family. So to hear my mom basically say like that she was as excited as I was to meet my birth mm -hmm. mom just really made me feel loved. Mm -hmm. So seeing them together is just one of the happiest things. Anytime it happens, I love it so much. Yeah. I'm wondering, Angela, if you can offer some suggestions for people who are listening who may be thinking about starting that process or even parents listening who have adopted children and are wondering, like, oh, are they going to ask me this question? Anything that you would offer? I mean, I think the biggest thing is to listen to the voices of adult adoptees who are speaking out on Instagram, on Twitter and and to really believe what they are saying. I think there's a tendency to be like, oh, that adoptee just had a bad experience. And in reality, like all of our experiences are valid and valued. Yeah. And so I really can't recommend that highly enough. And the other thing I think is that we as adoptees probably aren't going to just come up to you and say, hey, I want to talk about my adoption. Adoptive parents need to create that space by bringing up adoption all the time in ways that become so normal. Kind of like what I said around the athleticism, you know, like it can be as quick as just one quick sentence, like, wow, you're really good at basketball. Someone in your birth family must also play. Like mm -hmm. just a quick sentence like that is letting the kid know, okay, you're not scared of this. We can talk about it. That is going to be much more effective than saying like, I'm just going to wait until they bring it up because we're right. not going to. Yeah. Yeah. Make it talkable. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So in one of your the Adopting Next Door podcast interviews, you mentioned filling out a medical history form and just simply crossing the whole section out. I'm wondering <laughs> if you can share some other overlooked ways that this othering experience happens for adoptees. Oh, my gosh. Like yesterday is a perfect example. It was Mother's Day yesterday. Uh -huh. And for a lot of us, we have a lot of mothers, foster yeah. mom, birth mom, <laughs> adoptive mom and and so, like, wouldn't it be nice sometime when Hallmark cards accept that and, like, have cards for us, too? That and then a lot of school assignments, like, do your family tree or bring in a baby photo. Those things happen a lot to my mentees. They talk about being so frustrated because they're like, I think I'm just going to do my my dad's Irish side of his family tree or adoptees who maybe were in orphanages and don't have any baby pictures. And they're like, what do I do? I think I'm going to skip school. You know, it's just hard to know that you belong Yeah. when you can't do some of these assignments kind of thing. I think those are 
some of the things that come to mind right away. More from my conversation with Angela after the break. Hey, ladies, it's Dr. Joy here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It's crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a backseat. That's where release the pressure comes in. It's all about us, Black women seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or our community, your health is invaluable. Let's help to get our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head over to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, online and in-store. Some of my favorites are the jewelry from Hey Maeve and the skincare products from Kaja. For the entire month of May, join Macy's in supporting AAPI-owned fashion brands. You can show your support by donating online, or by rounding up in store to benefit APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Join me by rounding up your purchase to the nearest dollar at checkout to support API scholars, an educational nonprofit. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com are in store. How many times have you arrived in Orlando and suddenly realized you forgot the kids? But then you remember, you had no intention of bringing the kids. You are in Orlando to enjoy yourself. It's an amazing opportunity to have fun and experience all the fun Orlando has to offer. Sure, Orlando is known as the theme park capital of the world, but there's so much more to this destination. It's the place where adults can become kids again. And happy hour happens any hour with never-ending food festivals, fresh new dining experiences, and outdoor adventures from zip lining to its beautiful natural springs. And, of course, fireworks every single night. Plus, you have loads of entertainment options, see unique neighborhoods, and can even visit their blossoming arts and culture. Orlando has everything for an amazing getaway with your loved ones or friends, including exciting thrill rides, lush, lazy rivers, and world-class golf and spas. Yes, there's more to see, do, and experience than you'd expect. In Orlando, anything is possible if you can imagine it. Plan your escape today and save at visitorlando.com. You may be aware that most people who are Black have O-type blood. O is commonly needed for emergencies and life-saving measures. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? You, along with the American Red Cross, regardless of your blood type, can help by donating blood. Every day, our blood saves lives and eases the pain for those living with sickle cell. When you donate blood, there is a direct, positive impact within our community. Right now, there is great need for blood donations in the African-American community. Every donation counts and makes a difference in someone's life. 
Donate blood at Red Cross to help save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make an appointment now. Do you have any suggestions for like how adults and caregivers can create those inclusive kinds of experiences? It's pushing back against a lot of the adoption related microaggressions that occur every day. You know, that to create an expansive definition of family, I saw a lot of beautiful posts like on Instagram yesterday for Mother's Day that were very inclusive, saying there are so many different ways to mother. Happy Mother's Day to all of them, the grieving mothers, the biological mothers who can't see their kids. Like making those public posts, I think, is slowly going to change the fabric of kind of what we think of as family. I'm really excited about that. Speaking up at every chance possible. And I think that also goes to kind of pushing back against that narrative of an adoptee being so lucky that they were adopted. You know, if if we can start to peel that back, so many of these other things are going to fall suit because teachers and the media, they're going to start thinking about this naturally. You know, that's my hope. I have found that to be true, that once I push back against kind of one big glaring thing, that it just kind of reframes people's, their mind. And Mm -hmm. it's pretty soon after that they start to kind of see the world in a different way and things that weren't very obvious before all of a sudden are like, oh, wait, what about this? And what about that? And it's pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As you were talking, I was thinking like, you know, I wonder if if some parents do this, like go and talk with the school administration or their kids' teachers in the Absolutely. beginning of the year to say like, hey, I don't know what the curriculum looks like, but if there are any assignments like bringing in baby pictures or family trees, you yes. may want to reconsider because, you know, my child has this experience. Absolutely. Or A lot of parents do that simply because of them being a transracial adoptee and having white parents pick their kids up from school. Mm -hmm. Um, So talking to the administration beforehand so that it's we're not going to single out this child. Right. Many international adoptees have names that might be hard to pronounce. And I know a lot of adoptees who have just changed their name to be more American and kind of assimilate. And so to try to stop that. Many parents have gone in and helped the the teacher know how to pronounce the name right away. Mm -hmm. And man, that goes a long way so that the child can keep their birth name. Yeah. Yeah. Just so many opportunities in even small things like that to affirm people. Yeah, yeah. 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 It may seem small to us, but it actually makes a big difference to a child. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially yeah. like the names is a big one, too. I know a few adoptees who change their names or kind of shorten their names, go by nicknames. And then when I talk to them about it, they're they're sad because their actual name is the only thing that their biological parent gave them. And so they feel such a connection to that name, but Mm -hmm. then feel like, "Eh, I just got to let it go because nobody can pronounce it. It's really annoying that I have to correct people all the time. And that is a humongous loss. Yeah. One that that isn't easily seen because people are like, yeah, she has a nickname, you know, it's cool. Is there anything that I have not asked you that you're thinking, oh, I would really be upset if I didn't share this? You know, I think a lot of folks ask me if I am anti-adoption. And I just think it's frustrating when we ask for like a binary, yes, no, good, bad, for something that is so inherently complex. And so I definitely feel that we are adopting at too high of a rate, that it should be slowed down. And one reason for that is capitalism, unfortunately. And so I'm not anti or pro adoption, but I definitely think we need to be looking at ethics with every single case to make sure that it's done ethically. Yeah. Any resources or like things that you've seen that do a good job of talking about like the ethics of adoption? Yeah, I love PACT organization, P-A-C-T. They are based out of Northern California and They work really hard to find Black families to adopt Black kids. And that's something that I'm not seeing from a lot of other agencies, that many other agencies have a huge number of white parents 
available and haven't really looked into their systems or their practices or their policies into that discrepancy and that disproportionality and have been kind of okay with the fact that there's a lot of Black folks who informally adopt, which is great, but we also need Black and Brown parents to formally adopt. And so PACT out of Oakland is doing an awesome job of that. And they also have an incredible camp, one that I really highly recommend. And it takes place both in Tahoe, California, and then on the East Coast every summer. And they only have people of color as their counselors for the kids. They have really challenging keynote speakers for the adoptive parents. And I think they're doing it right. Right. So Angela, I'm wondering if you can share more like some of the resources that you have found really helpful in doing some of your work. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of adoptee podcasts that I love. And like Adoptees On, which is by Haley Radke, she's a white adoptee. And, you know, it's not always transracial, but sometimes just adoptees that are same race have a harder time because it's not as visible. So I love her podcast. There are some really great books, too, that are, I'm trying to think of one specific one. I think it's called Outsiders Within. And it is a compilation of a bunch of transracial and international adoptees talking about their experiences, which is really great. I created this adoptee manifesto, which it was like my mantra of the things that society kind of told me as an adoptee that I couldn't do. I wrote it in the positive, like I can love more than one parent. It's not mutually exclusive. I do have the right to know my medical history and a bunch of statements like that. And I sell that so that adoptive parents can like frame it on their kid's wall, even before they know how to read. They can grow up with this mantra and know that it's okay. And that's been something that has been a great resource for adoptive families, just to give them language and to demonstrate their commitment to the adoptee growing up whole. So that's available on my website at AngelaTucker.com. Okay. And I'm so excited because I'm working on getting that translated into six different languages right now so that adoptees who are who are born in Ethiopia and maybe they speak Amharic will be able to buy it in that language, their native language, which is just a really beautiful way within their home, within their room to bring in their culture. So I'm excited about that. I also on my website have a bunch of movies that I created. My documentary about my search for my birth parents is available on Amazon Prime and Hulu. And then I've just talked a lot to transracially adopted youth and created a short web series. And so to hear from their mouths, some of their experiences is irreplaceable. So I really recommend watching those. Perfect. We'll definitely share that in the show notes. And do you have any social media handles that you'd like to share? Sure. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Angie Adoptee and then on Facebook at The Adopted Life. And those are also places where I've tried to build community so that we can have open conversations about really tricky stuff like white saviorism within adoption. And it's been a a neat thing to have lots of other adoptive parents kind of commenting and writing and we can learn from each other. So that's another resource that I think is not only a great place for that discourse, but friendships have also formed through that, which I think have been really ultimately helpful for the adoptee. Oh, I'm sure. Thank you for sharing that. Well, I really appreciate all of this information, Angela. Thank you so much for your time today. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Glad to be here. I'm so glad Angela was able to share more about her experiences in her work with us. To learn more about her and her work, be sure to visit the show notes at therapyforblackgirls.com slash atucker. And don't forget to text two sisters right now to encourage them to check out the episode. 
If you're looking for a therapist in your area, be sure to check out our therapist directory at therapyforblackgirls.com slash directory. And if you want to continue digging into this topic or just be in community with other sisters, come on over and join us in the sister circle. It's our cozy corner of the internet designed just for black women. You can join us at community.therapyforblackgirls.com. Thank y'all so much for joining me again this week. I look forward to continuing this conversation with you all real soon. Take good care. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Forum understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of black and brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also empower you with a sense of complete control? Enter Conair Girlbomb, your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results made just for women. From the ultimate girl bomb grip and professional grade blades, you don't have to compromise and settle for less. Conair Girl Bomb equips you with the precision and power previously reserved for men's grooming tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level with Conair Girl Bomb. Available at conairgirlbomb.com or a retailer near you.